Today's scripture reading is in Acts 15. We'll be in verses 1 through 35. Um, so go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have them. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, and then as you find it, would you guys stand as we read the word of God? But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. 
So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated this morning. Thanks, Rachel. I know that's a lot of text. And uh, in the scripture reading, I, I love actually that, that much uh, text because there, there's something about every time we read that length, like some, something new kind of sticks out. And, and uh, even in her reading, I was just picking up some, some of the things. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful um, what we're reading here today uh, and I don't know if you picked this up when she was reading it, was a, was a conflict. It was a conflict. And if you have your Bible, you'll see at the top it says the Jerusalem Council. They, they were actually having a, a, a debate. And uh, what, what I'll preach through this morning is verses 1 through 21. 22 through uh, the end, verses uh, about 35, is really now after that debate, the letter, and kind of so, some recap on that. What I want you to notice about that end section there is how the churches received uh, the news about what came from the debate, right? The Jerusalem Council. How did it say that they received the news? That they were encouraged and strengthened. And, and, and one of the things I love in that, that section is how uh, these apostles and how these elders kind of uh, made decisions. And, and if you can pick it up in one of those verses, it says that it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like there's just this kind of idea of like, hey, this is, this is how we feel the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and, and what he's saying to these churches and, and delivering these letters and things like that. Um, but I hope that even though we're going to wade through some uh, what I, I think are difficult, maybe hard to hear things this morning morning, just like the churches back then, that, that will be strengthened and will be encouraged uh, because of it, okay? Uh, because the, what we find up in those first 21 verses, uh, it's, it's, it's a conflict, all right? It's, it is a conflict. And I'm thankful now in the church today, there are no conflicts any longer, right? Like, we've outgrown that. We're way past that. We're, we're, we're way enlightened. No, right? Um, I've been in church a long time and uh, have seen some very bizarre conflicts, right? Like controversies over carpet color, right? Like, are we going to go red? It's got to be crimson, right? The blood, right? Blue, right? No, Jesus walked on water, you know? Like, seriously, these are, these are real things. Do we pass place? Do we not pass place? Do the place have felt in them? Do, they not have a, do we have a clock in the auditorium so the preacher knows how, you know, like all these things, right? Which we have a clock, by the way, okay? So I understand how sh- short I'm going. Um, but just weird controversies, weird things like that. However, this conflict and controversy is not one of those. This is one of salvific significance. This is one of those that the conflict and the debate must be had because it is at the essence of Christianity, okay? And so I want us to wade through, and actually we're going to see for two weeks, okay, this idea of Christian conflict, all right? Because we all just laughed and acknowledged that conflict is still part of the church as we are the community of faith. We see it, thankfully, in the early church even. And Luke, the writer of Acts, helps us in how we go through those things, how we wade through those waters. And, and listen, there are things uh, worth having conflict over, and there are things, like I described earlier, not worth having conflict over, okay? What we're going to walk through uh, this morning is one of those things that's worth having conflict over. It's worth debating. It's worth having uh, 
a long discourse over that that Rachel just read to us. And so I'm thankful for this, but let's let's walk through it um, and uh, and hopefully won't step on too many toes, but no promises there. Um, I want to start by understanding um, what Peter, Paul, Barnabas and James are walking into with this council. Okay, they're walking into a council of Jewish believers, right? Jewish Pharisees known as uh, they could be known as the circumcision party, the party of the circumcised. Um, You can read about this a little bit earlier prior event in Galatians 2. All right. But the main issue at hand, right, at at just face value is this verse one, right, that this council believed that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved, particularly talking to Gentiles, Gentiles. And so, again, on the surface, we're going, no way. Right. You're adding to the gospel. You're doing you're doing all these things. That's that's not how you're saved. Why would they think like that? Why would this group of men, why would this group of, of religious leaders, the guys who were versed in the scriptures better than, let's be honest, better than probably uh, Peter and, and James and Barnabas, maybe not, not, not Paul, but they were very versed in the scriptures. Why would they have this thought that they were putting on to the Gentiles? Well, if, we, or if we're going to understand how to handle conflict, we need to understand also how we approach it, how we understand the other side. And so you need to understand that this problem is rooted in their Old Testament. That the whole way of understanding God framed by the Old Testament in our scriptures was framed via circumcision and the Mosaic law. All right. So that's the the lens in which they're looking at this, that, that they understood that anyone who came to faith, any male would be circumcised if they're going to be part of this nation, the people of God. And so circumcision and the law weren't things that they just intellectually agreed upon. Okay, hear me in the Old Testament. They were things very real, obviously circumcision, very practical and lived. But also, hear me, they were things that God himself gave them. Right? Since Abraham, God ordained these things. God gave them his law. And so simply what these guys are doing are going, listen, this is God given. This is orchestrated. Surely this is a requirement to salvation. Also, another point, observation, thinking as these guys would have thought, they didn't have the New Testament. Right? Like, we're like, have you not read Romans? Have you not read Ephesians? It sums it all up. Right? And the answer to that is no. The early church was the New Testament. Like, they were playing these things out in real time, recording them as the Spirit gave them the ability to see forward. And so we have to understand where these guys are coming from on the opposite side of Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James. And so it is very understandable that they're going to have this this view, all right? It's going to be very understandable that they have this view. However, what I want us to see is how sensitive these guys are, these folks are, to being led by the Holy Spirit with what Peter's going to say, with what Paul's going to say, and what James is going to say as well. So all this to sum up to say that these early leaders inherited a long-standing and deeply held religious system. And they had to discern without a clearly written foundation like we have in the New Testament, the specifics of how the Old Testament related to Christ's death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so they were wading through these waters. This is how important, listen, this council is, this, this group in this moment in Acts. I hope you feel even the weight here. Because if this is mishandled, if this isn't handled carefully, this could splinter things in Christianity. This could, this could, now nothing impedes the gospel from advancing, like know that. But it could take a very different shape. 
It could take, take a very different form depending on how these guys receive this. And so first, I want us to see how, how Peter does this, how Peter engages in this conflict, all right? How Peter engages in this debate. And the first thing he does is he, try, he figures out where the foundation is. Okay, what, what's the foundation of what they're building on? Okay, what is the foundation? And he understands that the foundation is the Old Testament law and circumcision. Like, so he, he understands that very clearly. So what Peter does is he establishes a new foundation. Is he goes, okay, that is the foundation of old. However, in Christ, there is a new foundation. The idea of salvation is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. So the frame, or excuse me, the foundation that, that Peter lays is one that is found and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? He identifies their old, their old foundation, replaces it with the new full one, Jesus Christ. Then, here's what he does second, is he begins to build on that framework. Okay, he begins to build a framework on, excuse me, that foundation. And so if you go back and if he just would have accepted their foundation and said, well, let's construct some new things on that. Right. Let's add Jesus to that and things like that. It would have fallen in. Right. Any builder, any construction, even if you don't have any background in that, you know that a faulty foundation doesn't matter what you construct on it. What's going to happen? It's going to fall in on itself. So what Paul does, excuse me, Peter does is he lays that foundation and then he begins to construct on it. Now, look, if you will, at verse eight. This tells us what he's going to begin to construct on. He says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between them and us, cleansing their hearts by what? Faith. Not by the law. Not by circumcision. But he made, God made the decision to give them the Holy Spirit, just as he gave us. He's telling this council. And so here, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're telling these stories about how the Gentiles have come to faith and how God has chosen to fill them with his Holy Spirit. And then he goes, listen, that's the proof. That's the proof of how we're saved, that we're saved by grace through faith alone, because God said it. And how do we know God said it? Because God gave them his Holy Spirit. So think about it. It's like this. It's like questioning whether or not your new neighbor has been approved for a mortgage when they've already moved into their house. Okay. Like, it's like the moving truck's already gone. They've already moved in. And you're like, I don't think they qualified for the mortgage, right? And you're like, too late, you know? Like, God validated that the Gentiles were saved by grace through faith by giving them the Holy Spirit. And that's what Peter's going. He's going, listen, it's the Holy Spirit that validates that this is the foundation, that this is the truth, that they're not saved by circumcision or adherence to the law, but it's by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. And then he goes back to their, I think this is very interesting, he goes back to their broken foundation, right? He goes back to the Old Testament, to what they were constructing on, and he says, look at this in verse 10. He says, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers, Old Testament, nor we have been able to bear. So he's like, why are you putting on this group of Gentiles, these new believers, a, a weight that we couldn't even bear, that our forefathers couldn't bear, right? That's the point of the law, is that the law, James says, is a mirror meant to be held up and go, I could never adhere to that. 613 Old Testament laws, right? And the point is that I have failed at each and every one of those that communicates what? I cannot save myself. And so he goes, why would you put that yoke around them when you couldn't even bear it? So that's the conflict. They come to a conclusion, but what I want you to see here also 
is how are these sides approaching this? And this is where I think it gets really relevant for us. How are these religious leaders coming, right? These, these, these believing Jews, how are they coming? How are, how, how are Peter and Paul and James and Barnabas, how are they coming? One word, in humility. In humility. Like they know how pivotal this moment is. But Peter doesn't come going, you idiots! Paul's known to use some strong language. He doesn't here. He uses clear language. Peter uses clear language. Peter, though, more than using his language, uses the Holy Spirit to go, you're going to have to illuminate. And I love even on the other side of this is that there's a humility where these guys didn't dig in their heels and go, listen, we had to get circumcised. They're going to. Right? Let's be honest. Like You're giving them an easy out. But no, they were so, it felt just in this moment, this air of humility going, we want to do what the Spirit wants us to do. That if we're trying to construct on a faulty foundation, we want the real thing. And Peter goes, listen, look. Paul goes, listen, I can line up all of these Gentiles who were, bully, who, who were saved and who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit and have no idea about what the law even is. It's the Spirit's work. Now, before we get too far down the road here, I want you to see what James brings up. Did you get that where James comes in here to this conflict? Where James comes into this debate? You see, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus' younger brother, right? And, and I'm always like, anybody have an older brother? Like, this is one of the things that, like, proves that Jesus is Messiah for me, right? James believed that his older half-brother was the Son of God, right? Your older, your older brother, like, if he made that claim, you're like, you are a liar. And here's why I know. You're sinless? Yeah, right. I got the marks to prove it, you know? Like, no! Right? So here's James, very powerful leader, right? In the church in Jerusalem, he comes and he says, listen, we are saved by grace through faith alone. However, the word actually here in, in, in our Bibles, verse 20 says, but look at it. Verse 20, but wait a minute. Is James about to add? Is it James about to add something to the gospel? No, but James is about to clarify going when you have been saved by grace through faith alone. Here's what they should know, that they flee from sexual immorality, that they shouldn't, that they should, should not eat food sacrificed to idols and all these things. You're like, why why would James include those things, right? 613 laws. Why are, why are those the ones, right? Why didn't he key on murder? You know, lying. Why, why were these the ones? Well, uh, little debate on it, but here's what I think. I think sexual immorality was a practice widely accepted by the Gentiles and pagans. And so he specifically said, listen, if your heart that is transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, here's what you're going to abstain from. Here's what you're going to flee from. Things that you used to accept, things that you used to count as regular food sacrifice to idols, things like that. It's going to be no longer. That's the old self. The new has come. Right. And so he gave clarity on what the new life looks like. Dallas Willard, he says this. um, He says the gospel is not opposed to effort. Right. Doing. The gospel is opposed to earning. Right. So before, what they were talking about is that you don't earn your salvation by X, Y, Z. You don't earn it by circumcision. You don't earn it any other way than the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ. However, after you are saved, there are things that we do and participate in or don't participate in that show and reveal our true heart that has been transformed or not. And that's what, Jesus, uh, that's what James is saying here. You see, Acts 15 is a call to wisdom and discernment in conflict. In these things. 
And so they come to an agreement. And I think there was an agreement on both sides. I really do. That the foundation of salvation in the Christian faith is this, that we are saved, not based upon any works, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. What a beautiful picture, right? Now, if we're not careful, here's what I want in our, our closing time. Just as this council drifted, we're talking about a group of men who were saved by grace through faith alone up front. If we're not careful, we can see how it is easy for the church and believers, us included. And I'm talking to the Parks Church specifically here, by the way, to drift. And there's some areas of of, of drift I think we could pull from here. But I just want to point out three, three areas for us to avoid and three areas also for us to confront. The first drift would be from a passion for outsiders toward a pacification of insiders. Okay? If we're not careful over time, what happens in the church, even churches that have solid theological uh, uh, teaching and solid theology and doctrine, there can be this shift away from a passion and zeal for those who don't know Jesus to simply pacify those inside the walls, right? Acts 1.8, Jesus, before he ascends, what did he tell his ragtag group of disciples, right? He says, when you receive power, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power for what reason? To be my, come on, witnesses. Yeah, we've been teaching through actually a long time. You should know this one. To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the vision and mission of the church. Every single one of us in this community included. That we must have an impulse that drives us to love and to serve those outside of the church, right? You say, well, what about, what about all the one another commandments? Yes and amen. We should be loving one another. We should be serving one another. But it's for the purpose of being a powerful witness to those outside of the church as well, right? Like that should just be an overflow of who we are because the Spirit's doing a work inside of us. But we did not receive the power of the Holy Spirit just so we could fill more seats, so that we could attend more services, so that we could pat ourselves on the back. We received the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of making disciples and being made into a disciple, okay? That's the reason. But it's easy to drift. How about this drift? Well, let, let me step on some toes. I almost forgot this. I wrote this in pencil. And just to preview, I wrote it in pencil this morning, all right? And I was taking inventory of my own heart. Um, like, how many more Bible studies do I need to attend? Hear me. We love Bible studies. We have a lot of Bible studies. We will continue to do Bible studies. But how many more? How many more do I need before I understand this concept? Before I understand what it means to go and make disciples, to be made into a disciple. Listen, we have studied the word of God year after year after year for 10 years. I don't know how many thousands of verses I have preached through from behind this podium. I don't know how many Bible studies we've done in men's ministry and women's ministry, all which are good, yes and amen. But how many more do I have to go through before I actually begin to practice and power the things Jesus has called me to in these scriptures? Like, I, like I don't want to do one more. I, I want to see the power of God on display. And here was the convicting question. How many Bible studies have I been through and attended? And how many people have I led to Christ? a lot different. God, help us, forgive us for preserving tradition 
over advancing his mission. How about the drift from grace to law? Right, that's, that's what we see. These guys, the guys who are talking, going, listen, they need to be circumcised before they're saved, right? Circumcision is the way that we see that they are saved, right? They were saved by Christ. And they, over time, drifted back to the law. They, it's like they had forgotten how they entered the kingdom of God themselves. Same thing happens here, right? You remember when you first came to faith? You didn't know anything? And then as you begin to know certain things, right? You begin to know certain things, right? I literally wore this jacket just so I could do that at that point. Okay, by the way. Right? Like, you just, and, and, and you begin to put those things on other people. that they, they were never put on you when you came to faith. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said that this is how we are hardwired to shift from grace to law. Like, it's, it's like that car that's out of alignment. You ever have one of those? That it just keeps pulling. Like, that's what our flesh keeps pulling us back to. And the spirit draws us back to grace and mercy. Keeps drawing us back to the gospel. You see, yeah, our list is not circumcision. It's probably not a big deal to you, um, right? But we have our own lists. If you do these things, you don't do these things, that'll make you right with God. That'll show you're a, you're a, you're a good Christian. I was talking with some friends this weekend who pastor in another city, in another state, actually. We were talking about zeal. And it's interesting how the Lord has wired us all to be zealous. Right? Much like worship, but, but, but we're zealous. And in this culture and in this climate, right? A global pandemic, cultural, uh, you know, and, and, and racial tensions in our country. Oh yeah, a political year. There's a lot of zeal flying around. A lot of misappropriated zeal. And that's exactly how Satan works. Right? So when he shifts you from grace to the law, it's not like you just go from being zealous to not being zealous. No, you go about being zealous about the wrong thing. So you go, you know, I'm zealous. And if you leave that open, Satan's going to fill that for you to fill your zeal with that, right? For you to be zealous about the wrong things. Think about it. If some of you who are zealous over the wrong things were as zealous as you are about those things, about Christ, what would your neighborhood look like? What would your office space look like? What would your school look like? What, 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 what would your family look like? God, help us, help me to be zealous about the right things. And then as you drift, as we drift from grace to law, you'll see a drift from a focus on internal transformation to one on external conformity. Like here's what Jesus cares about. Your heart, your life, your soul. We're really good at fooling one another. Let's be honest. Look this way, talk this way, say these things in these environments so that they know. Attend this Bible study. I'm, I'm not railing on Bible study. This is what I'm picking on today. Um, I was reading a book and it was talking about a particular issue that if you grew up in a tradition like I did, it will make sense to you. He said, for far too long, the church has been more concerned with what's in folks' fridge more than their heart. I grew up in something like that. Now, let me go back to James in Acts 15. We're saved by grace through faith, but we're not talking about obedience and calling it legalism. Okay? 
There are things that scripture call us toward and away from, and we will fervently pursue those because we know one leads us to death and the other leads us to life. But there are other things that float in the periphery that are legalism. And what Jesus is getting after with us and with this church is going to the heart of things. I think even Sam said that in this service, like, we're getting to the heart of the matter. Like, I don't even think he meant to say it, like, he, he meant to say it, but he didn't say it directly. Like, let's get to the heart of this stuff, guys. Jesus, get to the heart of who we are as a community. And we'll go where you want us to go. We'll do what you want us to do. Um, that's it. You see, uh, one of the things I love and I think is formative in this passage is that there was no demonizing. There was no dehumanizing people in this passage. Even though there was a clear right, we're saved by grace through faith alone. And a clear wrong. They must be circumcised. No. That's not how Jesus saves. But Jesus doesn't save either by you adhering to that legalistic rules of do's and don'ts. He saves 100% by his grace and by his mercy and the beckoning of the Holy Spirit alone. And then when a church, when we, when a people individually and corporately get a hold of that, our lives will look radically different. Not just externally, but most importantly, internally. And so I don't, do we want to sing again? I want to sing again. We're going to sing that last song one more time. Um, because I think it's an honest prayer that we're just going, Lord, do what you want to. Here we are, the Parks Church, submitted to your word. Here are our lives. Do what you want with them. Now, if you're not going to sing it honestly, um, there are nine different exits out of this building. And listen, I'm, that's not judgmental. I'm just saying I get it. But I want you to sing it with an honest heart, open before the Holy Spirit, asking him to move in your life. And so um, can we do that? Let me pray for us. Father, prepare our hearts as we get ready to sing. God, conflict and debate take so many different shapes in the church. And it's it's the enemy is trying to hijack it. The enemy is trying to hijack that which is not his. This church, along with every other Christ-professing church, was bought with his blood. He is the head. And so, Lord, we submit to him. Lord, I pray that we would take that call and that charge seriously. We would take grace seriously that we have been given, freely given, your grace. Lord, thank you for being able to peer into Acts 15 and seeing these folks wrestle through things and come to the conclusion of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray as we sing this that it would be an anthem of our hearts and a prayer that we long to see this week. In Jesus' name, amen.